Hello Church, it's good to see you again, or at least be seen by you. Uh, tonight we're going to continue our Wednesday night Bible study. Last time I did a Bible study talking about God's providence, which is His ordering and governing of all things in accordance with His power and with His wisdom and to the ends that He ordains. That is, He's in control of all things, even the most minute detail. And I taught on God's providence because when we go through a trial, any kind of trial, but especially a pandemic, uh, we can be tempted to doubt that God is really in control. We can doubt that we can doubt His providence. Well, tonight I'd like to talk about another thing that we are tempted to doubt when we go through trials, and that is God's goodness. God's goodness. We might be able to convince people that God is actually in control, but that fact alone is of no comfort to us if we don't also believe that God is good. A God that controls all things, but a God that is not good is not a God worth worshiping at all. It's a God worth uh, having terror of. Um, but the God of the Bible is most certainly both providentially ordaining all things, but he is also good. And we need to be reminded of that, especially when we go through trials. And so tonight I would like to start by reading Psalm 34. I'll just read the first 10 verses of Psalm 34, but we're going to focus on verse 8 of Psalm 34, which is particularly highlighting the goodness of God. And so to that end, let me read Psalm 34, the first 10 verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This the poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Verse 8, and this is where we'll be tonight. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's pray. Holy Father, as we dive into your word and indeed reflect upon who you are, the very essence of your being, and how you have worked in your creation to manifest your goodness, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would Give us an appetite for your goodness and that you would help us to taste and see that you are good. Help us to trust in your goodness, even when we're tempted to doubt it because of the circumstances that we're in, because of the trials that we're walking through, because of the afflictions that we feel. Help us to believe your word that reveals to us who you are and how you act with your people. That is our prayer this night. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to start by just defining what is goodness. When we say that someone or something is good, what does that mean? Well, the word has dozens of different angles to it. You can look it up in the dictionary. and It talks about various different things. But when we're talking about God's goodness, we're kind of talking about one core truth, and it's defined in different ways. One systematic theologian uh, defines it very simply. This is Wayne Grudem. He says that God is the final standard of that which is good. And all that God is and does is worthy of approval. So that's kind of the core of what he's thinking. 
God is and everything that he does worthy of approval. That's fairly simplistic. And so I went back a little further in church history. There's a Dutch theologian, Wilhelmus Abrakel is his name. And uh, he wrote a four-volume set called The Christian's Reasonable Service. It's very good, very practical. He says, he describes goodness. He says, goodness is the very opposite of harshness, the opposite of cruelty, of gruffness, of severity, of mercilessness, all of which is far removed from God. But the goodness of God, Abrakel says, is the loveliness, the benign character, the sweetness, the friendliness, the kindness, the generosity of God. And all of, all of those things he talks about are different expressions of the goodness of God to different kinds of people and in different situations. So he's trying to describe something, the essence of which is hard to tie down itself, but the expression of it in different areas really gives us a flavor of what God's goodness is in its essence. Stephen Sharnock, who wrote what is probably the classic Reformed expression of the existence and attributes of God, it's volume two of William Sharnock's work. It's really, really well done. He's got about 150 pages, I believe, on the goodness of God alone, just that one attribute. But Sharnock says the goodness is, is key to understanding the other attributes. He calls it, in fact, God's goodness the captain attribute. And it's the captain attribute because it leads all the rest of the attributes of God to act. It attends all of the actions of God. This is the complement and the perfection of all of his works, Sharnak says. And had it not been for God's goodness, which set all of the other attributes at work, none of his wonders, none of God's wonders would have been seen in creation. And nothing of God's compassions would have been seen in redemption. And I think that's significant, and we'll flesh that out later. If God is not good first, before creation, good in and of himself, outside of any created being, then we would have had neither creation nor redemption itself. And so as we go through, let's look at Scripture and, and see how Scripture describes God's goodness. Well, Scripture teaches us first that God is good in his very essence. God is good in his very essence, and this is significant. God as God, outside of thinking about creation, God in his very essence is good. The psalmist says this in Psalm 100, verse 5. He says, the Lord is good. We hear throughout the Psalms, 106, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. God is good in his very essence, God as God, before and apart from any act of his creation. But that goodness in God is not only part of his essence, it also extends to everything that he does. Because God is good and only good and pure goodness in and of himself that inclines him and indeed requires him to only do that which is good. Our good can do nothing other than our good God can do nothing other than good. Psalm 119:68 You are good and you do good. Therefore teach me your statutes. God is good, and because he is good, he is constrained and inclined only to do that which is good. Furthermore, as it relates to the expression of God's goodness in his creation, we know that God is the source of all good. So not only is God good in his essence, 
and God can only do good. We know, number three, that God is the source of all that is good. If he was the only thing before creation and he brought into being all things that do exist, then all good that does exist in creation exists because it came from him as the first and only cause. James 1 reminds us of this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James 1.17 Moreover, we know that God only does good things for His children, and this is significant for us in our Christian life. We'll talk more about this in a little bit. Psalm 84.11 tells us that no good thing does God withhold from those whom walk uprightly. We could spend a lifetime reflecting on the grace found in that single verse, but how often are we prone to forget and to doubt what the psalmist has said, that no good thing does God withhold from his people. We so often think, if I could just have that, if I could just get some of that, if I just had a little more of this, if I didn't have to deal with that. But the psalmist tells us that no good thing, none, zero, good thing does the Lord withhold from his people. Similarly, Paul says in Romans 8, when he reminds us that God works all things together for our good, for the good of those who love him. And he reminds us further in the next couple verses, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also give us those things that for our good? Similarly, Matthew Uh, Chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus tells us that uh, how much more than an earthly father will our heavenly father give good things to those who ask of him. And significantly, we need to remember in our Christian life that it is because God is good that he will not let us wander down the path of sin. Hebrews 12 reminds us that God is our good heavenly father and that he will discipline us not because he is hateful or wrathful or because he flies off the handle or because he's this uh, evil wicked uh, lord over us but because exactly because god is good and because he is our father that goodness that fatherly goodness is manifested towards his children in faithful discipline when they choose to walk down the path of sin. It is exactly because God is good that he chastises us, that he uses his law to reveal our sin so that we can then repent of it, right? Think about this. If God is the source of good and we are walking down a path of sin which puts distance and enmity in our relationship that breaks, or does it permanently break, but it interrupts our communion with God, the only source of good, then because he is good, he necessarily tries to remove that uh, broken communion, that sin, right? He loves us enough to show us our sin, which is putting distance between us and God, who is our source of good. And because he is working benevolently for our good, he disciplines us to bring us out of sin and back to him that we might know more of his goodness, right? It is good that he disciplines us because it brings us back to him and brings us in greater communion with him where we may taste more of his goodness. God is 
only and ever good, Scripture teaches us. He is the source of our good and of all good. And He has promised to only and ever work for our good. And these are bedrock biblical truths that the Christian must rest their head upon, even when we're walking through the darkest trials of afflictions in this life. And so, how can we also, or how can we further see more of God's goodness manifested? Well, Scripture teaches us in various ways that we can look, and I'm going to look at just two of those. We can look at God's goodness in creation, in the act of creation, even before the fall, and we can look at God's redemption, His redemptive plan and the goodness manifested in that. And so we see in God's act of creation, goodness was God's motivated for motivation uh, for creating. Sharnock says, the whole world is a map. It is a map to represent, it is a herald to proclaim this perfection of God's goodness. Everywhere we look, we can look at um, the little creatures that have been created, we can look at the earth itself, but we can really clearly look at the creation of man and see God's goodness. He did not have to create man as a sentient being. He could have created a whole earth full of rocks. He could have created a whole earth full of squirrels and dogs and things that weren't made in his image, things that didn't have higher level brain function, things that didn't have the ability to relate with him. But he didn't. He created man, and as Scripture tells us, he crowned man with glory and honor among the other creatures. And he, Psalm 8, verse 5, made him a little lower than angels. Right? He took the dust, the very dust of the earth, and then from that dust, because of his goodness, blew into it the very breath of life and created man in his own image. God's goodness bubbled over into his desire to create and to create little images of his goodness all around his creation to reflect back the very divine nature of goodness that was manifested uh, to his creation and all of this was a free goodness he was not constrained by something outside of himself that forced him to create no it's the overflow of his good nature his good essence that he decided to create in this way and to do all of the things that he's done and Sharnock goes on for pages and pages talking about this. I would refer you to that to read more about that. So we will move on. Not only is God's goodness seen in the act of creation, but we see it especially in God's act of redemption. Right? Sharnock says that the whole gospel is nothing but one entire mirror of divine goodness. And I think that's so perfect. The whole gospel, the whole redemptive plan of everything that God has done in Jesus Christ to bring sinners to himself is just a mirror reflecting, radiating God's goodness. And we see that redemption itself is exceeding the goodness even found in the original creation. Right? It was good for God to create. It manifested his goodness. But redemption, how much more does redemption exceed um, manifesting God's goodness? Right? We can see that in how the difficulty required to bring it about. So in creation, God had to overcome creation from nothing. There was nothing, and he brought into being everything that exists. But in redemption, it wasn't merely nothing he had to overcome. It was those enemies that were actually at enmity with him. He had people, as it were, working against him. He had uh, persons to overcome in redemption. And we see also the 
goodness of God is even greater in redemption than in creation because of the cost. What did it cost God to create? Well, it didn't cost him anything in his essence, but the cost of redemption was the life of his very own son. And so the cost of redemption shows us that God's goodness is, is manifested even in a more glorious way uh, than in creation itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so how do we begin to apply this doctrine? How is this relevant to us? What are some practical ways that we can begin to use this doctrine, which is a doctrine that I have just barely begun to scratch? Well, we can go back to James chapter 1, verse 17, which reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from God. And we ask ourselves a question. How often do we stop and reflect and count and number the good gifts that God has given to us? And not only list them, but how often do we express gratitude and thankfulness for them? What a helpful exercise it would be for us to take a few minutes and write down all of the good gifts that God has given to you. Youth that are about to meet with Jordan at 7 on the Zoom call, maybe it would be good for you to write down a list of a lot of the good gifts that God has given to you for you to discuss later with the group. You can write down things like your life itself, right? It is a manifestation of God's goodness that you exist rather than not exist at all. You could write down your health. The fact that you are alive rather than dead at this moment is a testament to God's goodness. Your salvation, if you are united to God by faith in Jesus Christ, that's because of his goodness manifested to you. The fact that you have forgiveness of sins, that you have justification, atonement, reconciliation with God, redemption uh, from your slavery to sin, you have adoption into God's very own household, you have the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, you have the promise of life eternal, you have a, an inheritance waiting for you in his eternal kingdom, you have even now the communion of saints within the local body of Christ, you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you have communion with God through the, his ministry of word and sacraments, and you have many other manifestations of God's goodness, particularly seen in his mercy. And that's significant. God's goodness manifested to us um, as sinners is called his mercy. We have not deserved that. We, we deserve punishment, and instead he's giving us that which we didn't deserve. We're get, seeing his goodness manifested to us in his mercy. right? We deserve his goodness manifested as judgment. That's what we deserve. That's what we have earned. God's goodness manifested towards us as wrathful judgment because of his holy standard which is good but instead he has chosen out of his benevolent goodness to manifest his goodness as mercy towards us that's what mercy and grace is all about seeing god's goodness in spite of what we have earned and so maybe we go to james 1 17 and make a list of all of these good gifts that come from god and we spend time reflecting contemplating on them being thankful with hearts full of gratitude remembering these gifts each of those gifts is a token, is a reminder of God's goodness manifested to us. Secondly, how do we begin to apply this doctrine of God's goodness? Well, when you face a bitter trial, when you face a terrible affliction in this life, what do we do when you're tempted to doubt God's goodness? Well, we have to remember what Scripture tells us. We have to remember the vacation Bible school level truth that God is good. 
He's good even when we go through trials, right? Just as the sun doesn't stop shining because it's covered by clouds, so too God remains ever good. He is ever the same, even when we can't have the clearest sight of it. We have to remember that God is pure goodness. He can't do anything that doesn't tend towards good. And in fact, for those of us in Christ, anything that we're suffering in this life is just God's good preparation of us. Remember what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, that God is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is so great, that is so grand, that it's not even worth comparing to what we're going through right now. And it's in light of that grand eternal glory that waits us, our present sufferings will, will appear by comparison light and momentary. Right? This is God permitting us to walk through a trial or affliction does not negate his goodness, but actually is a manifestation of his goodness and because the occasion, becomes the occasion for that manifestation of his goodness in the end. When the eternal weight of glory is bestowed upon us, God's goodness is true even when we're going through a bitter trial or a terrible affliction because those two things are meant to drive us to Him, to drive us to God, to peel us away from the love of this world, to drive us to Him. And if He is all good, if He is the source of all goodness, if He is pure goodness in His very essence, then whatever drives us to Him and to greater dependence and knowledge on Him is that is a good thing for us and is working for our good. I'm not saying that every bit of evil and every trial and affliction is good in and of itself, but it can be used by God in His great mystery to drive us to a good end, which is greater communion and trust and faith in Him. Third, we need to remember the goodness of God manifested in the redemption of sinners. We need to remember, this is how we apply the doctrine of God's goodness, we need to remember particularly the goodness of God manifested in the redemption of sinners. I mentioned this briefly before, but it's worth going a little deeper on. We know that God created in Genesis 1 good creation, a good creation. He, he created this and he said it was good. He created this and it was good. He created this and it was good. Uh, but mankind in Adam chose to be not good, chose to violate God's law, chose to violate the covenant that he had made with him, and Adam chose to take the fruit that didn't belong to him and be listened, be tricked by the, the serpent. And so because of that, we were brought into this world evil. We shared the fallen nature of Adam. We were evil in our very nature. We were not good. Nobody had to teach us down in the nursery to act in an evil way. Our lack of goodness was clearly manifested in our actions even before we even knew what we were doing. We don't have to teach sinners to sin. Sinners sin because they are first sinners. And so God's perfect goodness becomes manifested because while we were uh, in our sin, God sent the very perfect goodness manifested in Jesus Christ to live and to die in our place. Christ was ever good. He was ever merciful. He was ever truthful. He was ever just and holy. Um, and because he was ever good in our place and died the death that we deserved, we too can be saved by this Christ and 
filled with his very good Holy Spirit. And because of that spirit that we have, because of our union with him, we too can begin to grow in the spiritual fruit of goodness. Right? Paul lists that in Galatians 5, among the fruit of the Spirit, goodness. We can grow in our moral goodness or our holiness. We can grow in our kindness. We can grow in our goodness towards others that don't deserve it. That's, that's grace, right? We can grow in graciousness, which is our goodness manifested towards those that haven't earned it. Conversely, we can grow in our goodness towards those that deserve the contrary right? Which is mercy. We can grow in being merciful people by demonstrating our goodness to those people that have deserved the contrary, just as God has done towards us. We did not deserve mercy or grace. We deserve punishment and wrath. But God, out of his goodness, manifests his goodness towards us in mercy. And we can grow in that because we're filled with his very Holy Spirit. In short, we can become more and more like our good God because our good God has sent his son to die in our place, to die the death that we had actually earned so that we can receive mercy rather than wrath. We can receive his kindness and his grace rather than merely his justice. And that is the truth of the gospel that we need to hold dear and we need to cling to and meditate upon. And so I'd like to conclude with Going back to our psalm, Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord your God is good. If you're a believer, then I encourage you to come and taste again the goodness of the Lord. Think often of Christ. Think of His goodness. Think the goodness of God manifested in the glorious plan of redemption orchestrated through Christ's death in your place. What further goodness could be shown than for us to taste of mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption and eternal life all through the benevolent and unmerited plan of God to sacrifice his son in our place. Taste again of that goodness and know that God is good. And if you're not a believer, then I encourage you to come this very day and taste of God's goodness. Hear of his mercy proclaimed in his word. Hear the message of forgiveness that is proclaimed in the pages of scripture. Hear of God's goodness displayed and his justice towards evil and his condemnation towards all sin. Hear of God's goodness displayed through his righteousness, through his holiness, through his uprightness. Hear of these things. Hear of his mercy bestowed upon those that would come to him and believe. Taste of those things. And by tasting and seeing and trusting in the good gospel of this good God, then come and know of his good salvation. Amen. Let me close in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you and thank you for your goodness, and we pray that we would grow every day more in the fruit of goodness. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to see Christ more clearly, to know more of your mercy, to know more of your grace, and because of those things, to be motivated and spurred on in our desire for holiness and growth as we seek to be more good as you have been good and manifested that goodness to us in your mercy. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.